wrapping up our semi-long series where we've unpacked some different things. Um, I know that for some of us, this has been a really kind of a relieving series where we've looked at some topics that were like refreshing for some of us to know that it wasn't only our question. Um, I know for others of us, this has been a bit of work. It's been kind of hard to then like, oh man, if there's more to this than I thought, then I've got some intellectual or some emotional or some relational work to do. Um, And a few of us, it's just been downright scary to be like, okay, what do I do now? We've unpacked some stuff and I don't know quite what to do. And if you have uh, just a reminder of where we've been, we unpacked the idea of a personal savior. We looked at what did the title the Christ or the Messiah mean in the context of the New Testament. We looked at whose voices we listen to in our own lives and whose voices we follow. Even the question that God asks of where are we and are we hiding? We looked at what it means for us to actually attach to each other and be connected to each other and how, frankly, that's a little scarier and a little more satisfying than just attending the same community or the same church. We looked at God's goodness as a reason, the assuredness of God's goodness to be a reason to be honest about the rest of life. God is good, and therefore I can be honest that this situation isn't, that this is hard, instead of a stop to a conversation. We looked at transitions and how there are seasons and people come and go and our, our goal in that is to be a people who don't shrink back from what God is doing in our lives, even as a season comes to an end. And then last week we looked at what is asked of us and how a lot of us have lived with a laundry list of things that we thought that we had to do 75 things to appease a God. And how at least in one encounter in the Gospels, a woman simply reached out and had the courage to touch Jesus' clothes and that was enough. So maybe us just leaning in is enough. And uh, today we're going to try to wrap all that up. Not that we're going to know all the answers or any of that, because you all have caught on by now. I just ask questions. I don't really have any answers. But but wrap up this as next week we're going to look at, starting next week, we're going to look at all the different accounts in the Gospels and the Book of Acts where the resurrected Jesus encounters people like you and I. And and there's actually a lot of them. And so we're going to look at those different instances that are written of and what happens there and what that might mean for us. Not as a prescription, but as a, okay, what would that look like in my life? What does that mean in my life that Jesus conquered death and is alive then and now? So that's kind of where we're going. But first, let's finish up this because I feel a little bit like we are if we are all one family that moved into a house that we have done a bit of unpacking of some boxes but not found where things go you know what that's like when you move and you're like oh it's great I have no clue where the forks are so I can either buy 75 new forks or I can go find them and the forks of course are in the sock drawer and that kind of thing like that just things are everywhere and th- we don't know where it goes quite yet, and, and that's okay. And we're not going to find all the places today, 
But I do want to talk about um, just how do we resolve this time corporately, knowing that we're all going to continue unpacking, finding new places in our own worlds and in, in community together, but just at least from the mic on Sundays, we're, we're going to kind of bring this to an end. And as I, I prayed about that and was really talking with God about, God, how do you want to end this? How, how do we honestly look at scripture and, and bring it to a point where we're not just living among the chaos of unpackedness. Uh, how do we resolve this a little bit? And I had a meeting for my seminary that I, I needed to go to, I was attentive to, I really cared what was going on, but I was not, I was, it was in the seminary world. You guys have files like that where like right now I'm a student and I'm thinking about being a student. I'm not necessarily thinking about being a pastor or anything else. But as the meeting was resolved, the, the dean of the school just brought up a couple scriptures. And one of the scriptures he brought up was when Jesus asks, do you want to get well? And when he said that, I was brought back like 15 years. You ever have that when somebody says a sentence or you find yourself in a place and all of a sudden you're somewhere else? So I was brought back like 15 years because I used to work at a church that met in a cool movie theater. We were a semi-cool church, if you asked us. And uh, we had like the old school marquee in the front with light bulbs that were each like 250 bucks because that's just what they cost. And, and we had the letters that you put up with, with like a really long arm, you know, and we would put the letters up and somebody would volunteer to spray paint them to make sure they were really nice. I mean, it was a, often a very beautiful community. That's where Nikki and I first were married and, and lived out our lives and all of this. But I remember this one season where the marquee out front had this question, do you want to get well? And it's a great question. It's from Jesus. But in our little community, we started to act like we were the place that could tell you how to get well. And, in fact, we're the only place that could tell you how to get well. And, in fact, we know even how you're sick. If you don't know, we'll tell you. And it got a little bit out of hand. It went way beyond where Scripture was. And so, for me, that part, this little John 5, I've read it since. But I guess I'm a little bit like Jefferson when he made his own Bible and cut things out. I've read it, and, like, I don't want to go there. I'm not ready. That one's damaged. I haven't done the work to unpack it. That one's damaged, and I haven't let God redeem it yet. But when that seminary professor brought up the question, I was like, no, it's probably time for me to look at it. But it's also time, I think, for us to look at this context, because as I'm asking you to sort out and unpack things, I know that your choice and my choice is that we can either avoid it or we can let God redeem it. And because I'm asking you to let God redeem it, I need to follow suit. I need to let God do that in me as well. So we're going to look at this passage. If you've got a Bible with you or a device, it's in John 5. Starting in verse 2. It says this, now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, there's a pool, 
called in Hebrew, Beth Bethesda, you see, Bethsaida, my translation says here, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said, do you want to be made well? We'll stop there before we get the answer. So there, it says sheep gate. Sheep gate is exactly what you think it is. It's part of town where people brought the sheep in. The part stunk because sheep don't smell good. A and so it's, it's not the glamorous one. When you, when you go on a tour of the city, they don't bring tourists and, and dignitaries from other places through the sheep gate. It's kind of the back door. And so by this back door is a pool, and the pool has five porticos. Porticos is a fancy word for porches. It's got five front porches, five ways to get into the pool. And these five, as you can imagine, you're leaving the city. You go in through one of these doorways. Each doorway has a nice little porch there, and the porches are filled with people who are, who are lying there, who don't have another place to spend their day. Some of them can't walk. Some of them can't see. I imagine that there's, there's other challenges that they have, but this is the place that they spend their day. And there's a, a belief. There, there, there's a reason that they're spending their day there. There's this, this fountain in the middle. And there's a belief among the people that every now and again, at unpredictable times, an angel comes and sticks the angel's finger in the water and stirs the water. And when that water is stirred, the first person to enter the water is healed. And so that's why people began to hang out at these porches. And we all know beliefs come from somewhere, right? Like at some point, something like this must have happened. Or maybe more than one point. Or maybe somebody believed something. I, I, I don't know what exactly happens, but it's recorded where there's not as much skepticism here as there is here within me. But people gather together because, well, an angel today might stick the finger in the water. But they also gather together because they're not alone. And they also gather together because that's what they do, right? All those things are present. Now, this gentleman, I wish we knew his name, he had done this for 38 years. So when it says that he's hanging out on the, on the porch, it, they don't mean that he, he lives there, like in, like, Tent City and in Louisville or places like that. He most likely didn't sleep there and live there all day. Most likely, most of these people were, they had someone somewhere where they would go, and then they were brought to spend their day there. That's usually what's happening. Now, of course, there could be an exception. But usually what's happening is like family or someone who feels some sort of empathy towards this individual gives them a roof, gives them a meal, and then when they go to work, they drop them off at this place and maybe they get some coins from somebody maybe they get some food from somebody 
or they watch the water until it stirs or have some sort of community. That's typically what happens. But no matter what, this person's there 38 years. I'm only a couple years older than that. That means my whole life. That's a lot of life. I don't even remember 38 years ago. I don't remember what life was like 39 years ago. And we don't know for sure how old this person is, but we know for 38 years, this is life. Every day. Maybe they go to porch two instead of porch three, but that's kind of the diversity of the day. That's kind of the break in the mundane is which porch and who sits next to me. Now, John records that Jesus could tell that, that this gentleman had been there a long time, and my mind goes to how could he tell? And there's a few things. He could tell because he was Jesus. Jesus is really smart and knows a lot of stuff, and the Holy Spirit speaks to Jesus and just knows things that we wouldn't know. But there's also some physical ways you could tell, right? This person hadn't walked in 38 years. That does something to your legs. It does. When I was in high school, I was in a leg immobilizer, like one of those long things that kept your legs straight. I walked on crutches, and when my leg came out of it after a few months, it looked like my arm. And that was a couple months. This is 38 years. We don't know if this person ever walked before that, but we know for 38 years they didn't walk. And so it could have been supernatural insight that Jesus had. It also could have just been looking at this gentleman and being like, those legs look like they haven't been walked on. And you look like you're very at home and accustomed to living on these porticos, on these porches. You look like this is your regular life for a really long time. We have that ability, right? When we meet somebody, sometimes we can know, huh, okay, this person is adjusted to this life. That's just what it looks like and feels like. And at that point, Jesus asked the question, do you want to be made well? Now, one of the things with Scripture that I, I would give you, put this in your pocket. This one's for free. Read things with different tones. I would also say when a family member texts you or email, read it with different tones. We would be better people if, if we began to imagine different tones. It's one of the difficulties of communication in our era, right? We think we know the tone, and it's always snarky. But I wonder, what is the tone that Jesus asks this with? Does he look at this man with disgust? He's like, do you even want to be made well? <laughs> Does he look with some stern authority? Sometimes I've needed someone to look at me and be like, hey, Matt, do you, do you want to live this way? This week... I've imagined that, that Jesus even got down. And Jesus just sat next to the man and said, Hey, do, do you want to be made well? We, we aren't told that this is the length of their conversation. They might have been talking for a bit. There may have been tears in Jesus' eyes as he heard the story. The reason I say that is because the man has an answer on how he imagines you get well. And, and there, to me, there seems to be some evidence that there was more of a conversation. The man says, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool 
when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps in ahead of me. I imagine there's some emotion here. And like, do I want to be well? Yeah, I want to be well, but nobody's helping me. And maybe that's a sincere answer. Maybe that's self-pity. Also, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe there's room for both. Whatever it is, Jesus asks this question. Do you want to be made well? So this unpacking that we've been doing, a lot of people call it a a bit of deconstruction, right? And I didn't know when we started this series that deconstruction has become a really bad word in certain pockets, and I don't know, I think it's healthy. Uh, But it's... It's this honest work of, of learning. No, I, I used to believe this, and I don't anymore. I used to see God this way, but I don't anymore. I used to be this way myself, but I'm not anymore. It, it's, it's an honest work, but in my opinion, it is a noble means, but a horrible end. If our end is just to deconstruct our faith and just to unpack a bunch of things and then live among the unpacking, that can be a bit depressing if we have to stay there forever. Now, fake leaving there early doesn't make any sense. Pretending that we're done doesn't make any sense. But having our goal to just live amongst the unpacked beliefs isn't necessarily good news to me. But we live at a time where people stop here, and it makes some sense to me. The beliefs that that we have had are discarded and unsorted. We get defeated. We give up on Jesus. I understand, but it's not the story I want to live into. It's not the story I want for me, and it's not the story I want for my family. It's not the story I want for you. However long it takes us to unpack, I get that. And if it takes 38 years, it is worth 38 years. But the end of the story a sure hope and pray is not that in the end of our stories we just say, well, nobody helped me into the water. And I wasn't quicker than anybody else. So this is life. You see, this, this man had an excuse, whether it was self-pity or, or really valid and really vulnerable and, and being honest, I can't get into the water. And most of us have really good reasons too. I was taught the wrong things. I was hurt by leaders within the church. My image of my own parents or or my family of origin really hurt my image of God. And I, I can't get past it. I thought that God healed in the way that I thought he healed or I thought that if I lived well that that this wouldn't happen to me in these circumstances. I can't imagine a good God next to these circumstances. These are real questions, and these are real hurts, and I don't see them as just flippant excuses. I see them as things that are hindrances that we need to unpack and trust that God is good enough to handle. But here's the thing. We're doing this on Palm Sunday, right? If we're honest, Palm Sunday is like the vast celebration of misunderstanding Jesus. That's what it is, right? 
people trumpeted Jesus' arrival because they thought he was someone that he was not. He ended up being far greater than they imagined. But they thought like, hey, you'll give me some instant political freedom. Not realizing that what he was really giving was a full, embodied, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual freedom and wholeness, not just for this small people group, but for all people all time. And because they misunderstood, it was quickly, a few days later, that the same crowd that yelled Hosanna is yelling crucify. Right? I mean, they... This was the misunderstanding. This is the holiday that we celebrate misunderstanding Jesus. And he looks at his people and say, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He looks at his people and prays, Lord, as you and I, Father, as you and I are one, may, may they be one with you and with me and with each other. May they love May the world know that they are ours by their love. See, Jesus, to this man, next to the water on the porch, Jesus looks at him and responds, Stand up. Pick up your mat. And walk. We're not told if Jesus gives his hand or not. If one of the disciples, quick trying to get some brownie points with Jesus, rushes in and helps pick up the mat, we don't know. Part of me feels like Jesus let the man do this himself. And somehow, as the man started to stand up, his legs knew how to stand up. And the muscles and the tendons and the the bones were strong enough to support him. His mind knew how to stand. You've seen this with people who maybe knew how to walk once and then had maybe a neurological disorder take over or a neurological event where they lose the ability to walk and the difficulty of that. Or even, I'm, I'm telling you, even when I broke my foot in the fall, then you'd start walking on it again. It feels weird. I forgot in like three days. And somehow, immediately, this man begins to trust that he could walk. And he stands up and he walks. In this mat that had been his daily existence for 38 years, he packed it up and moved it out. His muscle strength that his mind remembered, somehow he did this. So many of us have been deconstructing one thing or another. That's actually how many of us found this community. It's like, hey, I was in, in, a, in a situation before that I can't understand church as that church or that experience, but I can't give up on Jesus or God either. And so maybe, just maybe, I can be me here. That's how many of us, at least in the last couple of years, have found this, this place. But as we are deconstructing, we are not doing it so that we could just build a new faith. Because if we just build a new faith, what we're going to have to do is in four years, we're going to have to find another church, and we're going to have to tear this faith down. We're going to have to unpack it all. And in that community, we're going to go build another one. 
We're not doing it to just simply reconstruct another definition of faith. We're deconstructing now so that we can reattach to God. So we can actually live in this way where, okay, you say you are the vine and we are the branches, so what does that mean, God? You say that we get to be attached to each other, so what does that mean? You, you say that the church is more than the one that with the microphone, so what are you saying outside of the sermon to our community? What are you saying in our actual lives? How do we live as an encouragement, as a blessing to one another? How do we live in a way where we love one another in such a way that the neighbors around look and say there's something different there? We aren't invited to unpack all of this so we just simply pick up a new set of beliefs, harden it, and call it good. We're unpacking this so we can journey together. We can stay attached to God and say, God, lead us. And as I understand you in new ways, then give me the courage to trust you in those new ways. And let me continue to let go of the things that are not you and pick up the things that are. And let me be a blessing to my sisters and my brothers because that's who you've told me to be. That's who you've told me that I am. That's really the heart of this. So the question we're given is by by just the truth that we are unpacking some things. We are not yet well. And as we're acknowledging that we're not well, the question that Jesus has us for this morning is do you want to be made well? think we can let God ask us that in whatever area of life he wants to ask us. I think he can ask us as a collective in whatever ways God is asking us as one body. But I hope that I hope that we know that the, the wholeness, the reconciliation, the joy, the justice, all of this, the God has been from the beginning is who God continues to be. And all those things that he has meant to give to his people have not changed. Our understanding of who the people are has changed. But those gifts aren't any different. And this isn't based on you and I getting it right. It's not based on us being clever or smart, saying the right things, doing the right things. It's based on the fact that Jesus is exactly who Jesus said that he was, who Scripture said that he was. Not our understanding. And that when he said that our sin, everything that gets in the way of us and God is taken care of, what he meant is everything that gets in the way of you and God is taken care of. And so this intimacy, this attachment to God that we have dreamt of being able to have, that's ours right now. Not because we're clever, but because that's been God's plan all along.
So as we wrap up this series, that's what we're going to plan. I'm going to wake up Wayne in the back. There it is. <laughs> if you don't have a cup, go ahead and raise your hand. He's going to slowly startle and then bring them down. <laughs> <laughs>